0: Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there.
1: This is George
2: Decay. You're listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. If you're not listening, you're missing out. Oh my.
3: I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics.
1: Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome everyone to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of the USS Enterprise. I'm Ken Tripp.
4: And I'm Haley Stoddard. And guys, I'm excited because I had an adventure this last weekend to Fanex in Salt Lake City. So I'm here to report about what I saw, what I did, and all the shenanigans that went on.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. I thought what happened in Salt Lake City... No, oh, that's a different Yeah, that's city. a different I'm one. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's a different Yeah, Salt Lake is probably like, yeah, anything can happen here, but we control it, so there's no drinking and stuff. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. So... <laughs> Yeah, tell us about it. What 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 down? What was the what were the big events? What did you see? What did you do? Who did you see? What did you meet? And all those good things. So
4: all right, so I will start off with just a little sadness. There was only two actors from Star Trek, and neither of them are original series actors. We had the lovely Tony Todd, was there, and then we also had the amazing Garrett Wong, who was also there. And I did run into a lot of trekkies, which was fantastic Mm -hmm. and amazing. Um, I had some magazines left over, uh, just a handful, and I randomly passed that out to people and it was awesome because they were like, oh really? And I'm like, yeah, have it. It's totally fine. So that was great. Um, I think the highlight for me outside of something that I will discuss a little bit later was John Mm -hmm. Cleese.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. He
4: was the first panel we went to. It was 11 o'clock on Friday morning. And uh, listeners, if you have never been to Salt Lake, if you've never been to this gamma quadrant that is Utah and Idaho, there is a dominant religion. (laughs) And they don't swear. They don't drink. Um, I grew up in the religion, so I completely understand it. But John Cleese was hilarious. Uh, He dropped seven or eight F-bombs. And I was dying of laughter the entire time he was on stage. It was wonderful, and he's hilarious. <laughs> so that was really fun. And,
1: and why was he there? What was the, what was the fan next poll for him? So
4: he obviously, listeners, was in A Fish Called Wanda. He's done a lot mm-hmm. of Monty Python, but he was also in Harry Potter. And we also oh. had the lovely Tom Felton plays draco Mm -hmm. malfoy and we also had warwick davis as there was there as well so we had quite a few harry potter harry potter actors which to my daughter's delight was just amazing for her
1: (laughs) oh that's cool that's really cool okay so now i get the connection with john yes and yeah probably one of the best writers as well as comedians uh in great britain uh, or in the free world actually yes so yeah he has got um A wonderful sense of tone and a very distinct voice. Mm -hmm. You'll always know it's John Cleese, you know? Yeah,
4: you will. And what's great is he was cracking up at some of his own jokes and his laugh just makes you laugh. It's just one of those things that is just contagious. Um, So he was super fun. We also did a photo op with him. Um, This weekend was kind of about spoiling my kiddo in her fandom, as I have done it so much in mine, going to STLV so many times. So it's kind of about introducing her and getting her that uh, same excitement and joy. Um, Next up, as I mentioned, Warwick Davis was there. So we sat in on his Mm -hmm. panel and that was just truly wonderful. It was really great. He has this smile that just lights up a room. He's truly wonderful. And I know you know him from Willow, which is what I know him from. And interestingly enough, he was uh, he was 17 when he did Willow and he got to he was talking about all the training that they had to do. So he had to learn how to ride a horse and sword fight and all this stuff. But then he talked about something was really funny because, of course, he's taking care of a baby in that film. He had to Mm -hmm. moms were brought in so he could learn how to change nappies. And That's he, right. <laughs> so he's learning all this really cool stuff for a seventeen-year-old, right? Horse riding, sword fighting, action scenes, and and then he's got to learn how to change a diaper.
1: Yeah, hey, it goes <laughs> along with the trade.
4: So um, he was he was really fun, and I didn't realize how young he was when he played Wicket in uh, Star Wars.
1: Hmm. He okay. was he was pretty that young. That was in *Phantom Menace*. Yeah. No. <laughs> Okay. No,
4: Wicket, the Ewok.
1: The e- oh, he was in Star he Wars. He was Wicket. He was
4: yes. He was Wicket. I think he said he was like he was like seven, I believe, when he played Wicket. Yeah, he would have been.
1: Yeah, that was yeah 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 because it was, <laughs> um, yeah because Willow was um, was made in eighty five and eighty six. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know how I know all that?
4: Because you were there. I was you were there.
1: I was there. <laughs> and I was... Did I tell you this story?
4: Uh, you have, but I don't know if listeners have heard it, and I think they probably would enjoy it.
1: Well, I don't want to top yours. No. I, I'll just say that, that I know uh, a lot of the cast of Willow and became good friends with many of them. <laughs> and we'll save that for another adventure. This is your story. But I, I love the fact that he was there. Now, in all honesty, I never met Warwick Davis, so uh, that, was, that was the one guy um, because it was all filmed in Britain and done in Britain. Well, he lived in Britain, mm-hmm. so he wasn't staying and living in the same place I was at the time where the rest of the cast was staying and living. So I, I didn't get a chance. But I always always got a kick out at him. And, you know, I, but I didn't know he was in Star Wars. I, I remember him in the crowd in Phantom Menace. I remember he was in Leprechaun. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't know how many of those movies he did. Uh, but... Yeah, he's he's had a pretty um a pretty busy career. He has,
4: and again, like I said, he was in Harry Potter, so he plays Professor Flitwick, and then he's also the Goblin Banker in uh, the first film that uh, when Harry has to get his key, and um, he's also Grip Hook as well in the later films, the Goblin and the okay. sword. Of, anyway, so yeah, so again, we had a photo op with him because. Harry Potter and my kid and me for Willow and and Wicket so from Star Wars.
1: That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And I, I, all I can do when you start talking about Harry Potter is just nod. I know. I've never read the books. I've never seen a movie. So
4: it's okay. Yeah,
1: I. It was just a little bit um, beyond. Now, my wife, huge fan, read everything. Uh, uh, Beth, big fan. So then they'll be jealous. Uh, but I just never got to. See- <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. When they hear this. Oh yeah. Yeah. What's it? What are they saying now? Jelly? Right. Uh, je- yeah, jelly. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll stick they with the,
4: the old term. I'm, I'm that way.
1: Yeah. No, thanks. It's, it's better if old people like me don't try to talk like young people.
4: <laughs> yeah. I don't do it either. I promise. Um, yeah. So then, uh, we sat in on Tom Felton's panel and that was really fun. He's, he's a delight. And, um, maybe that was Saturday such a whirlwind. It's so crazy when you're on your feet for that long of a day. Well, let's let's just...
1: All I remember is seeing the post that you sent when you got there. And you had a badge that said and read what?
4: Special guest. Oh, my gosh. It was so weird. Special (laughs) guest.
1: Yeah. Not (laughs) copper, not gold, not general admission, but special guest. Haley started walking around in a standard Orbit t-shirt. Yes.
4: I definitely was. And it was... It was really exciting and crazy and weird. My best friend went with us, and she always gets the VIP package. And I was even more special than the VIP people, and it was kind of weird, to be honest. Wow.
1: (laughs) wow a super very uh, svip
4: maybe something Something like like that that. yeah so um yeah it was really interesting um the day we went in we got our went in to get uh the tickets and everything so our little wrist badges and everything and it was really funny the lady at the desk she goes oh are you an author and i go no i'm not that creative but thank you (laughs) (laughs) and um and i remember i was like all right well let's go check out the room where our panel is going to be, and holy crap, I thought we were going to be in kind of one of the smaller rooms where they use the folding walls, and because mm-hmm. uh, we had gone to this um, convention before, my kiddo and I, and we had sat in on a panel that was in one of those kind of rooms where they, it's a big giant room, and they make it smaller. No, no listeners. It was really big.
0: And I was like, all right, as
4: if I wasn't kind of nervous anyway. This is a really big room with like two big screens on the side. And I'm like, oh,
3: oh boy,
4: man. Okay. And, uh, you know, so I took a picture of the room. And I was just like, man, this is really...
1: Well, tell us a little bit about your panel. So who were the panelists?
4: So it was myself. It was Brandy Jackala from over on Live from the Edge. And then it was also mm-hmm. Zachary Frueling from Metatrex and To the Journey. And so we had our panel. It was on Saturday at 6 p.m. We had not a whole lot of people. I was surprised kind of actually uh, walking around on Saturday doing different things. There was a lot of people dressed in Trek. We saw some queue. We saw a lot of uniforms. So I figured we might have more of an audience and we did. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say that there was more than 25 people there, but it was really nice. And for first time doing a panel and just kind of winging it a little bit as uh, Brandy lives down in Utah, so we weren't quite able to connect as she was also doing stuff at the convention, um, photo ops and autographs and stuff. So we discussed a little bit about uh, season two of Discovery, which was really nice, and some of the aspects that we enjoyed, and um, some of our favorite moments, episodes, and different things like that. And engaged with the people who were sitting there in the audience, which was really nice. And there was a few listeners from the network, so that was that was a good thing. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it it went really well. Um, surprisingly. I was not as nervous as I thought I was going to be. I was able to eat that day. So, it was good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're not if you're not used to public speaking yeah. and uh it's it, it can be a little intimidating. I can tell you as the more you do it, the easier it gets. And uh it is it is kind of fun after a while, but it's all about building the confidence and that's what this was for you, I think, a great opportunity to um you know, to to really expand uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that that know who you are. It's amazing to me the following you have, I mean, just your, your Twitter accounts, all that stuff. It's like, man, this, this girl's got a lot of people that, 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 have a, a lot of interest in what you're doing. And I think that's, that's pretty cool because as you get to more and more conventions and you get these opportunities, oh, you're going to love it. It's great. Well, so you felt like the panel went pretty smoothly? Yeah,
4: I think so. You know, I don't know necessarily if we got everything that we wanted to discuss, but we only had about 45 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I kind of looked at it as I was podcasting, but with an actual audience rather than just my co-hosts. And so it wasn't as nervous as I thought I was going to be, which was really great. Um, I also, because of my job, I did some skills beforehand. I did some breathing and some meditation beforehand. So that kind of helped a little bit as well. (laughs) Uh And my kiddo was sitting right there in the front row. So.
1: (laughs) Well, she must've been very proud of mom. She
4: was. She got a little bored i think she was coloring but it's okay (laughs) she hasn't watched discovery so she didn't know what we were talking about
1: yeah yeah if you were talking about the original series that kid would have been all in. yeah exactly yeah
4: well that's that's pretty neat
1: though so it was just trek fm hosts up there it
4: definitely was it was just us so nobody else i really had hoped um we had talked as i mentioned garrett wong was there we had talked to him and Was kind of hoping maybe he'd show up and sit in on with us, but he probably was pretty busy. I think he had a full day of stuff going on anyway. So, but yeah, just the three of us, but we're totally down. Brandy's like, we need to do this again. She's like, let's do it again in September. And my kid's all on board with that. So,
1: (laughs) What's in September? They do another
4: FanX. So they do it twice a year. They have uh, the two day in April and then in September they'll do a three day one. Oh,
1: okay. And does that usually get more um, Trek people in, Trek stars? It
4: has before. Trek stars? Mm -hmm. Usually Mm -hmm. they have a bit more. This one's a little bit smaller. Um, Again, it's just a two-day one. And the three-day one's usually a little bit bigger. They have a few more people there. Um, That's where I was able to meet uh, Will Wheaton.
0: I oh, specifically okay.
4: went because he was going to be there, and I'm like, ah, this is the only opportunity I'm going to get to meet him, and I like Wesley Crusher. That's right, listeners, I like Wesley Crusher.
1: <laughs> you're probably about the same age. No, you must have been younger than I am. I'm younger start. than him. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I get it. Hey, you know, so, hey, we found you. Okay, you're the one. That's great. <laughs> you know, he was probably thrilled to meet you, you know. But uh, I, I don't know him at all. So for all I know, he could be, he's, you know. He's very, very nicest nice. nicest guy on the planet. I really don't know. He's
4: very him. nice. You know, he's, he's not exactly. a touchy. So like in photo ops, we did a photo op. You don't get to touch him. Don't stand too close. But he is really nice. And I get it because a lot of your cons, you get, people get sick. So I totally get it. It's kind of like, a, I don't want to get sick kind of thing. But he's very nice, actually. I was able to talk to him. Um, he signed my poster. That the rest of the TNG crew um, have signatures on, so mm-hmm. um, he was very, very nice to talk to.
1: Well, then, if the experience was good and he's a good person, so be it. You know, you can't blame people for for taking jobs and portraying characters. I Mm-mm. mean, Will Wilton, Will Wilton plays Wesley Crusher, but he isn't. No um sorry to disappoint there's probably some star trek <laughs> i don't know that but it is it is kind of funny um how you know people don't don't like a character they take it out on the poor actor that yeah is just trying to do a job exactly
4: you know? exactly so yeah so yeah. that's kind of how things were that weekend it was really fun
1: Well, the good news is, for all our listeners, is you will be able to hear this panel and this discussion. So I understand it's standard orbit, but because we have, you know, the host and arguably the star, you know, I mean, I'm sure it was the panel, you know, starring Haley Starter (laughs) with, in very small letters, Zachary Fruling and Brandi. But maybe not. Maybe it was all equal. I don't know.
4: I was mostly in charge. I was kind of the go-to person um, just because I, I, I kind of took over everything, so I didn't take over everything, but I was the go-to person for the convention people to reach out to.
1: Oh yeah, Zach and I can relate. We get it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> but I did record it. I took my mic so that, uh, cause we had listeners asking and people were asking me, people were asking Brandy, uh, if they were going to be able to hear it. So we do have a recording of it. That's right.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, I'll be interested to hearing that. I'm sure our listeners will too. So, sounds like you had a really good time. That's nice. I um, I'm really happy for all three of you actually, and I'm I'm really happy for the network because it's nice to have three top ambassadors. You know, I, I really don't know which order the names were in and how big the font was per person, but I am sure that that alone, um, it's great for our network. And you know, it, the um the amount of people is, is irrelevant. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's a good start, and then you get to record them, then you get to play them. And then hopefully, you know if the next one's bigger, you'll you'll be brought back again. And um you know, have maybe you know uh, an even more diverse topic that handles the three things that that you guys do on the network, which would be pretty cool, yeah,
4: and and hopefully so. And I like I said, I'm down for it just because it's a quick, easy drive. Brandy's very close to Salt Lake. It's a three-hour drive for me, so it's not a big deal to to easily go there. It's the closest one I get, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, isn't the nearest grocery store two and a half hours from you anyway, so? just Could I go a little further?
4: (laughs) Just a little bit.
1: (laughs) Just a little bit. So, Ken. Okay. uh, You
4: posted something about this possible Paramount CBS merger. It's in talks again, Uh, so what's going on?
1: (laughs) Well, to be clear, I... I I attempted to post on the Babel conference, but it got yanked. <laughs> yeah. so you'll see it on another post. But yeah, so it's kind of exciting. Uh, I don't know how long ago I lose track of time. Three, four, five weeks ago, uh, I had posted where um, that uh, in, that CBS had not hired a uh, CEO. So everybody remembers probably the uh, Les Moonves, who was the CEO of, of CBS, um, was um, was kicked out for sexual misconduct turns out he was another beauty but uh he he was one of the ones that were keeping the um the merger and the talks uh with uh redstone and the viacom companies uh trying to put cbs and paramount together uh he was putting up quite a fight to keep that from happening and um a lot of it just had to do with uh, the relationship he had with sherry redstone who's the uh, ceo of viacom and uh but because they haven't backfilled it, you know, there's there's been some talk out there that, well, then perhaps it's time that these companies can now have that conversation because Moonves was the one that just wasn't letting it happen. And so I posted then that, I you know, I think this means that that because they didn't replace that CEO, why would you replace it only to have to let one of them go if the two companies came together? So it made sense that. Um, they were stalling it and not letting that happen. And then we found out there were two sources, CNBC and the New York Post came out with stories the other day that said that indeed the conversations of the merger are actually underway. So that's great news for Star Trek fans, I think, because this um, this crazy relationship that exists between Paramount and CBS and one being movies and one being TV shows and all the legal crap that goes on between them. Uh, if if these two companies come together, and believe me, um, both companies have to do something, uh, or they'll they'll eventually just kind of spin out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have these mega companies now with AT and T and everything that they've just acquired, uh, and and you have um, you have Disney that just ate up Fox. And so, you know, with AT&T with, and Warner Brothers all over there, uh, there's, there's not a lot of studios left. And without coming together with um, the ability to put out content, you're going to get crushed. I mean, Netflix will kill you. Uh, AT&T will kill you. Comcast, which has Universal. And now Disney, which is just a powerhouse. Yeah. So Paramount, yeah, Paramount's really stark. Um, because, you know, they have a few TV networks, you know, MTV and the Paramount Networks and Nickelodeon and some things, and CBS has Showtime uh, that they control plus their own network, and, of course, they have the NFL, which is big. So they have content, but separately, it's very difficult to stream. It's very difficult for CBS All Access. You know, it's... um, For all of us that, that have CBS All Access, it's great if you like discovery and you like the twilight zone but if you wanted to catch a movie and have more varied content you can't do Mm that on cbs all access you just can't so if you brought paramount and cbs together it would enhance their online service because you'd get the entire paramount library which you know has a lot of um Legacy top performers. If you if you think about it, a lot of great movies from the past. But on top of having the whole Star Trek film franchise, you know, you've got um, Transformers, which is really big, and you know some some other key um, properties uh, like um, Mission Impossible. So it makes a lot of sense for these two companies to come together because, and honestly, they need to. They really do need to. I think it was a real mistake for them to separate uh, when Viacom did that. It was a real big play for money where the sum of the parts were greater than the sum of the whole, but everything's changed. Everything's consolidating. You need content, you need firepower, you need capital. So these two companies together would make a lot of sense. And then for all of us in Star Trek land, think about it. You know, if um, if you're a big Discovery fan and the show evolves and they eventually go from doing, you know, 13 episodes and they just want to put out a movie, they can do that. You know, they they... Yeah. Yeah, uh, they they could go in that direction, which would be really cool. They wouldn't have to worry about you know trying to find a separate um, studio to to pull it in, or any of those things. So it, now that that Star Trek's taking off um, in so many different ways with what you've got the Picard series, Section Thirty One, you've got the two uh, animated shows coming on board, but we have nothing from the movie side of the house. Yeah, and. Um, you know, not that the production values or so forth really demand it, but it is it is kind of fun when you can go to the movies and, and watch Star Trek on the big screen, as they say. So, I've been well, babbling. I apologize. No, no, it's interesting kind of because news. this
4: makes me wonder if, and I didn't realize that Paramount has Nickelodeon. So mm-hmm. the, the teen slash kids animated show is going to be on Nickelodeon, if, if this merger goes through, this means that, that uh, hopefully, potentially, we would be able to stream that through the all-access, right? Um, Absolutely. Because, yeah. I mean, other ways, there's no way like I would be able to watch it because I don't have any way to watch Nickelodeon. Um, so that would be really so, great because then there's yet another Star Trek show on the streaming service that you're, you know that you get. Mm-hmm. So that would be wonderful. And I think having access to whatever amount of movies that uh Paramounts done that they want to add on would be really nice. Um it would definitely help them compete with the likes of like Hulu and Netflix, which I also subscribe to, and there's movies and television on both of those. So fingers yeah, crossed, so right?
1: Yeah, see see what's going to happen is, you know, Netflix is um they're going to be starved for mm-hmm. uh, content very soon yeah. if, if more and more of these companies start these services, right? So as Disney Plus comes online and they're coming in at a very low price, so it's very strategic what they're doing, and they're going to pull all their content. Mm-hmm. Now, think of how massive yeah, that is. Yeah, that's a lot. From, yeah, you've got Star Wars, you've got Marvel. You've got the whole Disney library and Disney's smart, right? So all those animated shows that we grew up in and those movies that we love that they've kept in the vault, mm-hmm. they're gonna put that on Disney Plus. They announced that. Yeah. So so things we haven't seen in years are all gonna be there and all of it will be pulled from you know, Prime, Amazon Prime. It'll be pulled from Netflix once the contracts expire. Hey, maybe this means and... that they'll
4: add the Star Trek movies back on Netflix. Well,
1: that's a... <laughs> Well, but if this merger goes through, is, then
4: potentially they would lose that, if you're thinking? That what you're thinking? Yeah, it,
1: it all depends on where, where you can get your best cost, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's big fees that these people will pay for. But if you're trying to get your online service and your subscription numbers up, um, and CBS Online isn't really – their subscriber base is going up, there's no doubt. Yeah. It, it's um, It's moving, but it's Netflix and Amazon Prime – um, are eons light years ahead of um, CBS All Access. I mean, it's yeah. not even close. So, and they, I don't know if it'll ever get close. Uh, but yeah, you have to weigh what what a Netflix will pay for you to do it, and how many subscribers you think you can get if you um, <clears throat> if you have it just exclusive to yourself. So whichever one wins, you kind of mm-hmm. you kind of play with, right? So, but it makes a lot of sense. There absolutely would um, the movies be on. CBS All Access, I would assume. It well, would and be. that means that content it might even change be, the name. Who would knows?
4: be uh, potentially pulled from Hulu as well because they have recently added um, the Star Trek series on Hulu. So it's interesting. Mm. This is really, really interesting. We've we've discussed a little bit about with because of the Fox Disney merger um, over on Discoville. Because what are they going to pull and put on Disney Plus? That's on that's Fox-specific, that's on Hulu. Are they going to leave it on Hulu? Or are they going to put it over on Disney+, Plus and is it really appropriate for Disney+, Plus? or are they going to leave some stuff on Hulu, um, like the Oroville, and not put it on Disney+, Plus? just because Disney also owns quite a bit in Hulu as well?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what Hulu's future is, to be honest with you. Uh, they They have a pretty large subscriber mm-hmm. base, but what it comes down to, Haley, is... You know, there's been so many people that have cut cords yeah. because cable got real expensive. But what's what's happening now is you're getting nickel and dime left and right with these streaming services. Yeah, you are right. So if you think about it, CBS All Access, it's either sixty dollars a year or a hundred dollars a year. It's not outrageous, but it's money. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got Netflix. And I don't know how much they charge. You know, They're going all I up know is next, that this
4: next month, so
1: yep they're going up, but you've got you've got Netflix you've got um Disney plus coming and and I'm thinking you know so i i I have Netflix, I have Amazon prime, and I have c v s online, and I have cable <laughs> so I, you know I'm just thinking to myself, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. um and there's certain things i I can't touch because there's things my wife and yeah. Uh, kids like, you know, like they like to watch and I just go, oh, but yeah, we could save this money if we cut this cord, but it, so it's it's starting to get kind of expensive. It is, and that's and... that's the
4: interesting part is, you know, we all cut the cord, but then now we were like, well, this one's coming out, and it was fine when it first started because there wasn't so many, but then now you're like, well, we now I need this one and now everybody's going to be like, well, I need Disney in order to watch anything on there because I want to watch my Star Wars or I want to watch Marvel, and and so it is really interesting. You're almost going to be paying as much as you would for cable to have all these different subscription services.
1: That's exactly yeah. right. And so that's why I was saying at the beginning, content is king. So, you know, if you want to watch your favorite stuff, there won't be a Netflix in theory mm-hmm. or a Hulu in theory that has that potpourri that, uh, you know, of all those different network stuff. Yeah, there just won't be. Yeah you know, it, it doesn't make sense. So it's, it's, it, you know, if the companies that are producing it feel they can make more money by doing the service themselves, then that's exactly what Disney's model is, it is. And then once they have you, um, you know, it, a, a buck or two here and there, doesn't, doesn't mean much to you, but it's, it's billions for, for these companies. So that's, that's what it's all about. You know, I, I, I kind of get a kick when I see some of the, um, the online postings about you, you know that uh, the federation and all this is is socialist and it's like no it's capitalist with a capital C <laughs> <laughs> because this is all about money every single thing that is done produced or whatever is about you know of course I want good quality and good entertainment because then you'll pay for it and if you pay for it they make money so it's you know the quality has to be up there but yeah it's it's amazing but yeah these two. Um, these two, these two companies really need each other. And if it doesn't work out, you could see, you know, Verizon might be on the hunt for something to compete with AT&T. We'll see, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's, it's becoming, you know, um, there's, there's so many networks, so many channels, so many streaming services, but it's all going to be under maybe three or four umbrellas yeah. in the near future. And that's incredible to me. You know,
4: it's definitely, definitely crazy.
1: Yep. Buckle up enjoy so we'll see if this prediction comes true so i can boast on on my posts and all that other stuff but uh yeah i'm i'm hoping that uh smarter heads prevail and you know this company comes back together because they, they truly do need each other. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch. I I know I'm a very boring person when I say that mergers and acquisitions are fun to watch, but that's my life. Right? So that's, everybody's that's got their into.
4: thing, Ken. And honestly, this one should excite fans because this could potentially increase our chances of, you know not necessarily made for television movies because you know can we call it that anymore with all these streaming services but like a mini series or you know just a movie that's just released online and through these streaming services that through characters that we love like i know people have mentioned about maybe if we don't get a pike series maybe either a pike mini series or a pike movie and that would be great, but we can't have that really, until we have this merger really happen. So I think this is something that would really benefit the fans and I think would be a really good thing for Star Trek
1: going forward. Not. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right because um, you know Paramount's in such a way, you see, I mean, the, the Star Trek 4 movie they wanted to make is stalled. Yeah. Um, and it's stalled because financially they can't afford. These, these two top stars, you know, are, are just demanding whatever they're demanding. You know, is it fair? Is it right? I really don't know. But they can't afford to do mm-hmm. it. They, they really are capital stressed, So they've really been focusing on the tent poles that they know are really successful and bring in global audiences like Transformers and um, Mission Impossible. Yeah. But most of the movies they're making are kind of, you know, quiet place and, you know, low budget, high return type things Mm -hmm. and that's 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 where they're going to play for the near future and that's what they said they were going to do if you bring in cbs which is very profitable they do well they do that gives them you know more capital uh to play with and then you can take some some bigger chances if you know that um if the movie doesn't do great well then you can put it on streaming on top of the DVD sales. And you can make it part of the library or you can kind of capture those costs as part of a larger department so it's there's a lot of things you can do financially when the two come together that uh, could help us in the star trek world we'll, we'll see we'll see if it's where because i i miss my uh original series stuff i really do
4: yeah i i sure want that other film yep always will yeah, me too. <laughs> mm-hmm. well ken I'm, I'm hoping the listeners will enjoy this next bit. We are, like I said, going to share the audio from the panel. Um, please give us feedback, good or bad. I will take it with a grain of salt because this definitely was a learning experience and something new for the three of us who did this. So I'm excited to share this with the listeners.
1: All right. Let's listen in and, and good for you for getting this done. And And thank you for this recording and enjoy everyone. We'll talk to you next week
5: has everyone had a good time so far
3: everybody's like it's day two and it's six o'clock we're beat right you've been walking and walking and standing and standing
5: and you stayed for us
3: because they can sit down <laughs> we,
5: we, we have more water so help yourself
3: yourself Yes, that is exactly what panels are for. Hungry, tired, go grab some food, sit in a panel. <laughs> That's what I use them for. They go here. All
6: these secrets. We're not going to tell you. It's <laughs> yes. a <save> secret. <laughs> <Blue ship. laughs> podcasts.
3: Is really <laughs> <laughs> <It's> okay. I'm <laughs> life <tweeting> it
6: out.
5: You're is <laughs> I feel so caught in the middle of this. really
3: will you join <laughs> me over here for a second so that uh,
4: Everybody, everybody, um, I'm going to have to look over, you, over my glasses because if I look at you with them on, you're all blurry, but then I can't see this. Uh, welcome to our discussion of Season 2 discoveries. Discovery everybody watched all of Season 2 because otherwise you're going to have spoilers.
3: So, so many spoilers, spoilers, guys.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
3: okay. All of the spoilers.
4: <laughs> Good to know. So, uh, we'll introduce ourselves. I am Haley. I co-host with Ken and Zach over on Standard Orbit for Trek FM.
5: I'm Zachary Fruling. I'm co-host of two podcasts on Trek FM, Metatrex, a show on Star Trek and philosophy, and To the Journey. Any any listeners? <laughs> one To the Journey listener. Hey,
4: that's better than mine. I no one? <laughs>
3: Anyways, check out our podcast if you haven't already. You can find us at trek.fm.
5: Um, Brandy?
3: I am Brandy, and I co-host Live from the Edge, which is a live reaction show for Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's finished its season two because season two finale was thursday we did live on friday you can find those videos still on trek fm youtube channel just go to youtube and search trek fm and that all of the podcasts and videos will come up so if you want to see it, even though it isn't live anymore, you can't see, especially this last, if you want to see me crying for half an hour, yeah, that is the place that you want to go. Trek FM on YouTube.
5: Don't be modest, it's at least 45 minutes.
3: Okay, you're right, it is, there is sobbing, guys. There actually is sobbing. Yeah. One, one of the uh, one of our guests made me sob my little eyes out, so in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> Don't want anyone to get any bad ideas. It's
5: all good. so this this is the voyager podcast or voyager panel
3: right no oh, no sorry. sorry wrong panel <laughs> Stop trying well, we, we were going to we,
5: we were going to wait for everyone to show up but we might as well just get started Yep. yeah i
4: think this is it um so oh gosh all right i'm going to talk about it right now because we might as well get it out of the way uh i love pike anybody else pike Woo. team pike team pike anybody yeah. else like major league <laughs> So I was super excited. Um, I'm not an original series fan originally, but watching The Cage, I wanted to see more of Pike. I wanted to see more of Number One. I wanted more of that crew, so I was super excited that we were getting more of that, and at the end of the season, obviously, we see the Enterprise. I will admit right now, the bridge was too big, but it was gorgeous, and I'm so excited to see that, and uh, I love Captain Pike in the yellow shirt. I cannot lie.
3: Cannot lie. Brandy, Okay, well, I have a couple of loves. Uh, I am a silly for Tilly girl because I identify in so many ways with that character because I am socially awkward and I talk too much sometimes and I am always afraid that everybody is just staring at me and thinking, why are you here? And so Tilly, Tilly, Mm, Tilly, Tilly, I wrote an ode to Tilly and um, actually tweeted it to Mary Wiseman even though I, sh- I didn't want to do that. Everybody kept telling me, no, you have to do that and she actually responded. So, that, I cried for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Did you bring it? It's on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, uh, do you guys want to hear it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Now,
5: Since I, you mentioned it,
3: well, I had to mention it because otherwise someone would say, "Why didn't you mention that?" Um, because there are people who will hear this. That uh, anyway, uh, I I actually did recite the uh, the ode on live and on an episode of the Edge Main Show and. Uh, I'm getting very nervous because I have forgotten where my app is to pull that up. I'm sorry, guys. So. My fault. It's all your fault. But I am. Um, I. Especially after reading The Way to the <coughs> Stars. Have you guys read any of the Discovery novels? Please do. They are so good. Especially The Way to the Stars, which is all about my Queen Tilly. And I. It, that I, that book connected with me on another level and made me love the character that much more, because there were so many things in her younger life. I'm like, I I went through something almost exactly like that, and so it was just absolutely beautiful and wonderful. And I I can't I have trouble speaking about Tilly because. I'm like Tilly and sometimes I have trouble expressing myself in a coherent manner, so I'm sorry about that guy. <laughs> so um, let me find it. Here it is. Okay. Now if I cry at the end, you guys just are going to have to deal, because this, this is who I am. So, all right, here we go. This is, this is based on season one. I wrote this between season one and two. O Sylvia, thou lady fair, Thine aqua eyes and flaming hair, So full of spirit, brave of heart, Such honest wisdom thou impart. Though thought naïve, thy sharpest mind Did even make Paul Stamets find a kinship with thee and with those Who were not swayed by pretty prose. For true of speech thou always are, And even in such times bizarre, Thine words would calm and soothe and cheer, Releasing friends from weight of fear though many found thy goals inane. A captaincy, said with disdain, a mirror dark showed thee the truth of captain's rank despite thine youth. But lo, thy counterpart corrupt, did not thine spirit pure disrupt. Thou took the strength but left the hate remaining on thy pathwise, pathway straight. And were it not for Tilly's nerve, ability to well observe, thy friends ne'er may have won the day and back to their own timeline's stray. O oh, Sylvia, Thou lady bright, with mind so strong and spirit light. My love so pure I give to thee, my favorite of discovery. <laughs> there is going to be a note to Spock
5: soon. Yeah, I kind, of, kind of want the sequel already.
3: <laughs> well, I had to wait until season two was over. I couldn't do it without having that fine love so peace in place. So there will be a note to Spock, y'all. Just uh, just wait for it. I'll get there and I'll cry when I read that one, too.
4: Well, then I have a request. OK. An ode to Pike.
3: Oh, oh, I'm going to get a note to every one of them. I'm going to get around to it. But yeah, I have to do Pike as well because, again, but I had to wait until season two was over, which happened two days ago. So, you know, I'm good, but I'm not that good.
4: Well, since the season ended, I think that's where we should start, where we just finished the season. Yes. Um, we recently just we re-watched them, like, last night and this morning. And I have to say, I visually... Was beautiful and setting, but uh, I don't agree with taking Terran Emperor Giorgio into the future with them. And I'm a little nervous about that. But I loved a lot of the nods. Oh, I don't know if anybody else caught it. I loved all the sparks flying. Uh, The debris that looked like rocks coming from the ceiling and the walls because that happens because, you know, it's stuck in the walls, I guess. There's rocks everywhere. So that was really fun. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you're laughing about it. I love
3: that. Has
5: everyone finished the season already?
3: Okay, if you haven't, seriously guys, spoilers! (laughs) If (laughs) you're okay with being spoiled, that's fine, but seriously, we are going to talk about stuff and things.
4: yeah. So these two were intense. I found it really, gosh, I can't even. I don't know how to put it in words I, I right now. Know. At this
5: moment, <laughs> still. words. I do a Star Trek Voyager podcast, and you know Voyager is known for having a reset button. You know they always reset the timeline. Things in Voyager didn't happen. Um, I feel like this was a huge reset button. This is a chance to start over. You know they they end up 950 years in the future. 900 No spoiler. 930. Excuse me. <laughs> Nitpicking, um, you know, it's a good chance to, you know, for, for the writers to free themselves up and um, move forward, and it's just—I don't know—I've been a little disappointed in Star Trek Discovery, honestly. You know. I, I used to teach uh, philosophy in another lifetime, like like, 10 years ago, I used to be a philosophy professor. And for me, I grew up watching like 1990s Star Trek. So Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. So I love these little bottle episodes where you just have some moral problem or some philosophical idea, and that's the focus of the episode. After two seasons of Discovery, I honestly have a hard time knowing what the show is about still. (laughs) Like what is the big idea? What's the problem that it's trying to solve? Like um, you know, it's it's great drama, great character development. Um, I'm, enjoy- I love the reset button at the end of it. Honestly, I like the fact that you know they freed themselves up from canon and move forward and, and oh, get I some, said some the gender word. canon. Don't say that word. <laughs> yeah. There's a difference between canon and
3: continuity.
5: Yeah. <laughs> But, but as I go kind of episode by episode, I had a really hard time thinking of like, what are the philosophical things going on in Discovery? It's it's more like, a, it's almost like a journey. It's like Odysseus on the, you know, coming home from Troy, you know, it's that's kind of epic, uh, you know, story. But like, what are the ideas? There's some interesting stuff in there like, um, I know whether Hugh Culber is the same person when he gets reconstituted, that's an interesting philosophical idea. But I'm looking for something new, like, you know, that's been a transporter problem for a long time, right? You know, when someone beams back, are they the same person or not? That's well-trodden sort of philosophical territory. So I'm looking for novelty in the next season, and I loved the season, I thought season two was a great improvement over season one, honestly, that it was more fun, more adventure, better character development, great nods to the original series, which I love. But I'm still looking for ideas. I, I, what I love about Star Trek is just—it's an idea-based show, you know. And different fans love Star Trek for different reasons. I mean, how many people really love Discovery? Actually, yeah. just
7: like, catch
5: like, shout it out. It's okay. It's not—it's not, it's not a crowded room. Love like, it. What, do, what do you love about it?
6: Fantastic. The, not, the uh, expanded ship, the larger ship, mm-hmm. uh, new, newer technology. Kind of it. Uh, it. it, it Kind of bookmarks, uh, enterprise, and almost the next generation because they have uh, the technology is actually above what the original series was. So I I, I like that the technology is there, uh, uh, kind of in in a, in a, a more realistic sort of sets, not the cardboard sets and all
7: that stuff. Okay, I
5: saw a couple other okay. hints. Shot real quick.
7: Yeah, the um, honest nuance. Of the clandestine world. Mm-hmm. Nuance of the, of the
5: clandestine world. Okay. You
7: know, things not getting logged. Mm-hmm.
5: A couple others. I just feel more connected to the
3: characters as, as people Mm-hmm. than I did. Uh, you know, I think in the past they've all been kind of officers and kind of more like official. Kind of
5: cookie cutter, idealistic humans in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I like how it's a mirror into who we are as a society and they can tell the, those stories about what. Where we need to go still as a society, and what might happen if we don't go there. And you can sit it and you can enjoy a nice dramatic show, or you can sit down, and I'm sure as a philosophy professor, you can be like, there's a lot to unpack in there if you are willing to unpack it.
5: Yeah, and I guess every every series of Star Trek is a mirror of its times, right? You know, uh, Enterprise was post-September 11th, and Next Generation was very idealistic, coming out of the 80s at the end of the Cold War. So what is, I guess that's my question fundamentally, what is, what is Discovery commenting on in the here and now today?
2: In the writers room in the after show, they talked about how they wanted to talk about modern day politics in a way that they couldn't do it. And Star Trek is a utopian future, and so, in the prime universe they can't say this is what happens when politics go crazy so that's why they had to go to the mirror universe to show this is what happens when everybody looks out for themselves and when we don't work together and they said the mirror universe was the only place that we could have gone to show what humans look like if we were to continue down the path of everyone looking for themselves.
5: That's a, that's a really interesting idea. Like, you know, you take this feature of humankind, we're kind of selfish sometimes. What if you take that and, and make that a bit large, make an entire universe based around that, the mirror universe? That's a really interesting idea. Kind of a Kantian idea. Like, you take this um, moral ideal, universalize it, and say, what's that world like? Is that a world we want to live in or not? It, uh, you know, a mirror should make us reflect on what kind of beings we really are. What about you guys? Did you guys? Enjoy, I, I feel like I'm in the minority. I, I love Star Trek and all of its incarnations. I'm enjoying Discovery, but it's it's never going to quite be my Star Trek. I, I did like the way it ended. I just felt it. I felt it was a little hollow philosophically. Like I, there's no, I don't know. Like there's no great ethical dilemmas in it. You know, there, I, I'm looking for interesting things. Like there was
7: a legal argument that they made in the first season, which I thought. That, they yeah. Needed coming. Mm-hmm. Um, um, she's in her pressure suit and gets attacked by a Klingon, um, they argue the point of law of whether she has the authority to act in a defensive manner. I've never seen that in Star Trek before. That was impressive. Mm-hmm. They're saying, this pressure suit is a ship. You are a captain of your ship. You are authorized to defend your vessel even if it's only two meters long. That was an interesting argument. I can imagine the other lawyer going, wait a minute.
5: They can't have a ship that's two meters long. That's not a ship.
7: But yeah, it, it did everything a ship did, and they were arguing that point of law in regards to whether or not she was authorized to act in a combat manner the matter. Mm-hmm. I thought that was impressive.
5: So what about you guys?
3: Well, I have a very difficult time picking favorites, so when I say that something is my favorite, it's really importantly my favorite. So up until this time, I have I'm old enough to have watched the original series and reruns in the 70s. Grew up watching Trek, family thing in our house, we all watched it together. And when Next Generation came along we were all super excited because more Trek is good. I wasn't sure what to expect with Discovery and as I went through the first season, I found myself connecting to things that I had never dreamed I would connect to in Trek specifically. And that has a lot to do with Tilly. I have never seen anyone like Tilly in Star Trek, in, on a starship, like as an officer. Well, she wasn't an officer yet. She becomes an officer in season two. Well, at the end of season one. But, because she was a cadet then. And I just, I've never seen myself represented in Star Trek until that point someone on the ship on the bridge working as part of the crew and that invested me in the series in a way that I had not felt before which is not say that I don't love every other trek I adore trek in all of its incarnations except for maybe a couple of the Kelvin movies but as season 2 happened I had to admit to myself and I'm going to admit in public, discovery is my favorite trick.
5: So when did you realize that? Like, what, was there, like, a defining moment?
3: Yep. Uh, if memory serves was the defining moment when I finally got to see Spock not losing his mind. And, and it, was, it was at that moment, I'm like, I, it doesn't get any better than this for me. This is the perfect mixture of all of the things that I love about Trek in one episode and I just I honestly guys I cried at certain points in every single episode this season there wasn't a single episode where I did not cry about something keep in mind I cry when I'm happy cry when I'm sad cry when I'm angry cry when I'm scared cry when I'm uh, you know anxious all of that crying is my go to thing but to have something make me that moved that I cry every single episode, how could it not be my favorite? How could it not? And I'm not ashamed of it, obviously.
6: <laughs> that, that's the one where uh, Sarek finds uh, Spock in, hidden in the,
3: in the temple? Or... No, that is, that is our uh, Going Back to Talos Four episode. And once Spock is himself again, and just that entire episode and Ethan Peck's performance of Spock, you guys, Ethan Peck's performance of Spock, we need to talk about that so much more. <laughs> so much more. Because that guy is brilliant. He came into this extremely well-known character that had been done in more incarnations, and he made it his own, but at the same time made it Spock. Now my favorite character of TOS is Spock, so that means a lot, you know what, I just told you about favorites, and for him to come in and do what he did, just talking about it just is so moving because especially the the final time that we see him on the Bridge of the Enterprise, all clean shaven and in his uniform, and he was standing there with his hands behind his back and staring at the view screen, and I just... I was just bawling my eyes out because I'm like, yeah, you are Spock. He looked so much like a young Leonard Nimoy right then I just... It was everything I could have ever wanted or hoped. And I realized that this was the last time that I was going to see him in this role, and it tore me apart. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to get my thoughts in on Spock because Ethan Peck was bloody brilliant. And he, it shows in every second of his performance, every slight narrowing of his eyes when he's talking to Michael, when he's still angry, every movement he makes, every the way that he sits, the way that he stands, the way that he speaks, everything. Just, I never could have dreamed that anyone could do that. And he did.
5: So you mentioned If Memory Serves. Should we talk about that for a moment?
3: Yep.
4: So, as a new to TOS, uh, we recently just watched that, my daughter and I, a couple years ago. And, but I was so excited. I was very nervous about going back to TALEX 4. Let's be honest, this is something that's major. We've seen it already. And, but at the same time, I was very excited. I loved the opening credits. We got to see all of that footage again. And for any of you who haven't watched The Cage, you've just seen The Menagerie, and for original fans who never got to see The Cage until the late 80s, I loved that they threw that in. And that, to me, was major. I knew so many people who were going back before that episode aired and either re-watching The Cage or watching it for the first time. And in my head, I was just screaming with excitement that people were going to go and back and watch this. and. I wasn't crazy about the look of the Talosians, but I loved that they went back. I loved every single aspect of this episode. I loved that across that great distance, we still got to have Pike with Vina, and I cried every single time they interacted. And you could tell that that emotion, that feeling from Pike was still there. He still cared for Vina just as much as he did, and it's been for years. So it was incredibly just, it was so brilliant, but I hated that Burnham didn't know, but now that I look back on it, and I don't know if anybody else has thought about this, I think the reason that she's the only one who clearly didn't know about Talos War, and that she couldn't go there, was because she was in confinement. She was being held after everything that happened, because the bridge crew Discovery, when Pike says they're going there, they're like, wait, why? we're not allowed to go there, mm-hmm. and that black hole, I don't know about anybody else, but that was brilliant. Oh, it's so was. Cool.
3: That
5: really
3: was brilliant. It was so good. Like they're going to get spaghettified! So, oh, but they're
5: not. How many people have seen The Cage? Original?
3: Okay, the original most of Okay, like, okay. Yes. Awesome. Not okay, the Nathan. Can
4: please
5: watch it? <laughs> yes. So, again, I'm a little bit in the minority. I I love The Cage. It's one of my favorite episodes of the original series. But I, I thought if Memory Serve kind of was a huge missed opportunity, honestly. It was fun to go back to Talos for, fun to see the Telosians. fun to see Pike and Vina
4: the singing plans.
5: The singing plans were fun. Was, no, I cried. It was. It's a touching episode. But what I love about the cage is that it deals with these really big questions about the meaning of life. You know, basically, Pike is presented with this chance to have everything he thinks he wants. He can go back to Earth, ride horses, picnic lunch. He doesn't have to have the pressure of being a captain anymore, and he realizes that that's not what life is about. You know, by the end of the episode. Um, so there are these questions about about happiness and choices and pleasure and just you know a great philosophical analysis of those things all in dramatic form and we didn't touch on any of that <laughs> in, in if memory serves so I, I feel like the, all the things I love about the cage it didn't touch on for me but.
4: I think though this you can take a look at this episode and say we get this and then we get in. And I'm sorry, I'm really bad with episode titles. <laughs> the crystal, when he gets the crystal and he sees what happens to him in the future, mm. think about this, we've seen If Memory Serves, that's that turning point where he says, okay, this is gonna happen to me in the future. I can go back and I can, and so we get what we see in the menagerie. So like you can kind of insert it in your <coughs> head canon. And I, yeah, I know I said that word, I'm sorry. You can insert it and say, okay, because of if memory serves, because he sees when he holds that time crystal, he sees what happens to his future, he can say, okay, I can go back.
5: So that moment of choice, like I can, I can go back or I can sort of embrace my destiny that the time crystal showed me or I, can, or I can, you know, abandon that and do something different. Is that similar to what's going on in the cage? Maybe so. Yeah. Because um, he does have to face the choice of what do I what do I really want? You know, it's an interesting question whether we have a destiny. Uh, I'm not sure if that's really. It's almost more of a mythology kind of question. You know, do we have a fate? You know, rather than a, a, a destiny per se. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. It's. I guess that's my the trouble that I'm having the entire season. It's like I love the I love every episode, but I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they just there's something about the, the things that they're calling back to that were sort of had that that Intellectual richness that I feel like is missing a little bit in discovery and I hope season three does something a little a little more along those lines, but And that's the paradox of it for me is I love all the episodes. They're touching. They're moving. They're nostalgic. They're um, they're interesting visually they're fascinating Um but it's it's hard to know, like, what's the idea? Like, what's the, what, what's the, what am, what's my takeaway from it?
3: I can tell you what mine is.
5: Tell me, tell me, give me something to latch on to.
3: Well, the first season and the second season continue the story. This show is about a woman discovering who she is. It's about Michael's discovery. Yeah, and it happens to take place on a ship called Discovery. But I think the title of Discovery has... Multiple meanings in this case. And Pike even says to her when he's, you know, she's made it clear that she is going to take discovery into the future and she's not coming back, he says, you know, how many of us get to discover our own hearts? You have discovered your own heart. And that is so true. How many of us have actually gone on that journey? How many of us know our hearts and know? what our purpose is and know what it is we want to do with this life and she has been working through that. She, she thinks she knows and every time she thinks she knows something has happened and it's been taken away with her, away from her, whether through her own actions or the actions of others. And then after she is brought on to discovery through no accident, that is when her journey truly begins and it ends as far as I mean her journey isn't over, but her journey of knowing who she is has been completed and now we get to find out what she's going to do with it.
5: So that's a really interesting point because these existential themes of identity, like who am I, what's life about, what's important to me, what choices do I make, what's Mm -hmm. in my heart, um, there are several, I mean, several characters in Discovery, have, it might, yes. Burnham's the big one, so but many Tilly, might, Tilly might be having the same so kind we, of, of journey. But even these these entities, like the Federation, might, and Starfleet might be having that same kind of journey. What's Starfleet all about? What's the Federation all about? What matters to us? What What are the limits um, of what we can do and can't do with Section 31? Um, the Klingon Empire in season one was was like that, you know, mm-hmm. what's the nature of the Klingon Empire? What's Klingon identity about? Um, and as I as I get older, I find those questions more interesting, honestly, because you know you're older and you've d- gone through more things and you've done more, you know, self analysis, and you you know who you are and what you want, and and um, you know, is that is that philosophically interesting? Yeah, if you're twentieth century existentialist, yeah, you know, if you're Heidegger or Sartre, you know, yeah, sure. There's all kinds of philosophers in the twentieth century who think about that that kind of thing. Um, it's not like the big ideas. It's not like it's not like metaphysics. It's not like you know these these hardcore ethical questions, but they're personally relevant questions.
4: Is there an episode you want to touch on, Randy?
3: Anything was spoken. <laughs> 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 he's magic every time he's on screen. I there there are so many episodes. It is again, you know how I'm about picking favorites, but the the big turning point for me was if memory serves. Not only because of the hearkening back to the cage, but also because we finally get to see what Michael did to hurt Spock so deeply. And that was one of the most brilliantly edited scenes because they kept switching out the older characters with the younger characters. Sometimes it was an older Spock with the younger Burnham reversed or younger Burnham, or older Burnham, younger Spock. Sometimes it was both of them as children, sometimes it was both of them as adults, and just tore me apart, tore me apart. So that was that was the turning point for me where I finally understood the motivation and Michael's deep, deep sorrow at what she had done, which, you know, he of course has to, tell her it's not because of you, it was because of me that the logic extremists were after us. It had nothing to do with you. I think it actually did have something to do with her, but I think he's right. And so that, that is heartbreaking in and of itself that she, she did what she thought was best. She thought she was making a sacrifice. She was sacrificing her relationship with him to save his life. That's what was going on in her mind and that's not, it wasn't even necessary. How horrible would it be to find that out after, what, 15 years, 20 years? However long it had been. I I guess it would be about 20, because it was 20 when her parents were killed. So we thought. So, yeah. That, just there was so much in that episode that colored everything that came after it and really defined their relationship. And then I got to watch them put the pieces back together. And it was so wonderful. (laughs) Like that final scene between Burnham and Spock when she's about to go into the future and he says that he loves her in Vulcan. I'm like, yes! So just. It's hard for me to pick a specific episode that I feel extremely strongly about because I feel extremely strongly about all of them. But if I had to pick one, it would be, if memory serves, because that's the point where everything turns and everything that happens from there on out is a result of them dealing with this thing that happened when they were children and how they are going to push past that, if they are going to push past that.
4: So, um, I'm going to mention one episode that I really enjoyed. I hope you guys can discuss this as well. I think the second second episode for me, New Eden, was a major turning point. That one is hands down I think my favorite of the season outside of the finale. And I mean the second part of the finale, because I know it's a two-parter. I think this is probably, you were alluding to the bottle episodes, Mm -hmm. where it's just an episode in itself. We still have this over arc storyline, which I think is really interesting. I think people who love DS9, they love the episodic television, and that's what we're seeing nowadays. We don't, it's not, or not episodic. Oh my gosh, I do this every time. We talk about this on Standard Orbit. I like single episodes. I want it to be done in a single episode, and that's what New Eden felt like to me. It's still tied into the rest of the season, But it wasn't. And I think DS9 fans, they love that long story. Everything's dragged out. There's little bits here thrown in and there. But I love the original series. I love TNG, Single episode, maybe two-parter every now and then. So this episode, for me, really felt that way. And I thought, this is a great way to start this. We have this red signal. We have these people. They've come from Earth, but they have no knowledge of anything that's happened past World War III which was really interesting, and I wanna know more about these people, so I'm kind of excited that they're going to Terralysium in season three, and that's where we're gonna find the ship, and we're gonna find the crew, and it's gonna be really fascinating to see where they're at now, Terralysium, and we're gonna see where they're gonna go, where the crew's coming on, and who knows what influence they're gonna have on their culture and civilization, so I think that's really interesting, but I loved those moments in this episode. I love the end scene where Pike beams away and I just—it was so great. He left that light, and I loved it.
5: I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned New Eden.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say Jacob oh, reminds me of my friend uh, <laughs> Joe DiGeralo. Not not one that's on track of him. He's a local guy, but he just—just just his mannerisms and the way that he would, you know, had kind of sleepy eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Joe. <laughs> so the, Jacob is just Joe in, yeah. now to me. So, you know.
5: Given everything I said about Star Trek and philosophy, the other thing I love about Star Trek is just the exploration aspect—strange new worlds, right? This is part of what we love about Star Trek. We got a planet finally, (laughs) and I feel like that's part of what's missing too. Uh, You know, I want to see strange new worlds, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, after nine hundred years of of evolution on that on that planet, but. it's an interesting question, I mean, for us in general, like, you know, where will we be in 900 years? I mean, that's an interesting question. You know, we don't think about those questions very much. We focus on our own little narrow narrow lives, right, you know, and they'll be over in a blink of an eye, but as, as I get older, I'm more and more attracted to, like, ancient history and you know, these these long term historical trajectories, and I've got interested in ancestry and genealogy. And so I'm like, wow, yeah, okay, A, an, an Earth colony way out in the middle, where, wherever it's supposed to be, I can't remember. I'm so bad at details. We're like, it's out there somewhere. Where is it? It's in the where
3: beta it?
6: quadrant.
5: It's in the beta quadrant, okay. I, I can't remember those things. That's
3: what you have me for. Yeah,
5: exactly. Right? <laughs> but th- I guess that's my point. There's all kinds of different Star Trek fans out there. Some people love the mystery. You're like, oh, wow, who's the Red Angel? Like, I didn't, I found this the most boring <laughs> question. Who's the Red Angel? Um, Some people love mysteries and they love, you know, intricate plots and trying to figure out the details, and that's not me, but um, I love seeing a strange new world, and it's it's interesting to see if if you took a pocket of humans from all different cultures and different religions, put them on another planet. What would happen? Would they, would they? Would it be an idealistic, you know, um, Star trek like like colony? You know, would, they, would it would be a peaceful place? Would it devolve into tribalism and, and would people be warlike? <laughs> so, New Eden was one of the most interesting episodes of the season. It it really made me go, okay, maybe this is going to turn out okay after all. And then they kind of dropped the ball from there for me. But I, I have to say, though, getting back at the end of the of the season. Uh, Such Sweet Sorrow, I thought seasons one and two, or episodes one and two of of Such Sweet Sorrow were what I wish Discovery had been. I'm, I'm glad that they ended with that because maybe it'll be more like that going forward.
3: Yeah. So New Eden, what do you think? New Eden, I very much enjoyed New Eden. I love the concept of them taking all religions and just smashing them together. Yeah, and just taking all these different parts of holy books and copying and pasting, basically. Well,
5: it's very new it's, agey. Like, it you know, is. All very religions new age-y. say the same thing, but and they don't, right? No,
3: they <laughs> don't. Well, there are basic tenets of all religions that are the same. Uh, basically, most religions are like, just don't be a jerk.
5: You yeah, know? and they, this is where I sort of like again it's, it's easy to take the easy route which is like all religions mean the same thing yeah, right? no they
3: don't but they all they have some similar tenets mm-hmm. and so yeah like ethical tenets yeah, exactly. don't, mur- don't, don't, your, don't, don't murder kill, don't don't exactly. kill don't be a jerk don't sleep with your neighbor's wife or whatever but it, to to actually form a cohesive belief system based on all of those religions that I don't know how they did that.
5: All around the Red Angel, though.
3: Yeah, well, it Something is some sort of
5: unifying factor.
3: It is all around the Red Angel, but they still their holy book is not about the Red Angel. Yeah, that's true. It's all these other holy books put together, and that just blew my mind because I don't, I didn't think humans were capable of that. Let's be honest. But that's the beauty of the Star Trek future. Is obviously humans are capable of such things, and that's that's the thing I think that. Star Trek starts to show pretty much from day one of the original series. This is what we can be. This is what we can achieve. And gosh, guys, don't you want to get to that future? (laughs) I do. Let's not self-destruct and get to that future, okay? I totally want to go there. Yeah.
4: So another episode I would like to touch on, um, something that I enjoyed. I loved, and and I'm I'm not going to butcher it, an obel for Charon. Hi. Yes. yes! I'm so <laughs> proud of you. So I don't know if anybody here looked into that. It actually is based off of the premise of they would put the coin, an obel, on their eye and Caron would ferry you across. And I loved that concept, but this sphere and this whole concept of this sphere and it's a somewhat living being and it's collected all of this data, I would love, honestly, for something like that to really truly exist. I think that would be the neatest thing if there really is something out there that's gathering information and we come across it at some point. Um, and obviously this episode was very paramount to the rest of the season. It basically becomes all about that data and nothing else. I mean, well, yeah, not nothing else, but that was really, really an important episode, and I thought it was really well done. And interesting for Saru and his character development, and then later on the development of his whole species too. Yeah. yeah,
5: and something genuinely new. I mean, the, the, whatever we're calling it, this sp- is there a name for it? The sphere. I
4: just said the sphere. The sphere, yeah. right? The,
5: I, we had not seen anything like that. This giant, you know, planet-sized encyclopedia galactica. That's an interesting thing we haven't seen in Star Trek before. So I found that really interesting, and one of the best episodes in the episode names in all of Star Trek. Yep. I
3: that
4: think. no one can pronounce. It, can. I all think. I think yeah. had to learn how to pronounce yeah. that. Actually, I'll we did right Google. already Google had Google had the for dis-
3: Karen. <laughs> we'd already had the discussion about Karen on live and how to pronounce it. So we, we went through that whole pronunciation thing because there were people in the chat that were just like, okay, this is how you say it. It's oval, not oval.
5: I'm like, and yes, a, a chance character. to use my ancient Greek,
3: all right. <laughs>
5: Finally, so, <laughs> 20 yeah. years.
3: But I agree, that is, that is a fantastic episode and a very important one. And there was so much crying with me because you know I was just like, they could kill off anybody. They could. It's Game of Thrones in space. Yeah, exactly. It's, well, with a lot less blood and sex. But anyway. Um. Uh,
5: wait Wait till season three.
3: <laughs> <laughs> They're out uh, there by themselves. Don't, you know? don't, don't scare me. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, it's just everything with Saru and Michael and how close they've become from where they were when we first see them on the Shinzo together. It's like unbelievable how their relationship has changed. I mean, not unbelievable in a bad way. But it's wonderful that they were able to get to that point where he felt like she was a sister to him. Whereas before, he just felt like she was an obstacle. That's all that she was. She was an annoyance and an an obstacle to him progressing within the command structure. So, to see them progress from that to that. And I just, I thought, yep, Saru could die. Saru could die. I really hope he doesn't, but he could, but then again, I've seen stuff where they said coming up on season two of Discovery, and there were scenes that I hadn't seen yet, and so I was actually pretty sure he wasn't going to die, but now he's got, like, you know, spiky teeth in his place of his ganglias, what the heck? Was
5: everyone a Saru fan from the beginning? I had had to kind of warm up to him, honestly.
3: I loved him him because I love Doug Jones, and I have loved Doug Jones for 30 years. So anything Doug Jones does, I'm sure will love it.
4: So I think uh, something that I picked up on, and I'm sure a lot of other people have picked up on as well, this season has been about relationships. Yes. Like massively. I think it's been, it's about the relationship between Spock and Burnham. It's a relationship between Burnham and um, Saru. It's. The relationship, I mean, obviously we see the struggle with Pike and Burnham too, and he doesn't quite know what to think of her at first. Um, the relationship between Tyler and Burnham and the fact that they still have these strong emotional feelings for each other, um, and I'm probably gonna get a little emotional now myself, but Stamets and Colbert, and I know you're gonna get emotional too. Yep. Nope. I, I had the pleasure of meeting both of these guys in Vegas, and they're completely wonderful human beings, Their relationship for me, and I know a lot of people, a lot of fans were upset. It was the whole, you know, kill your gaze trope kind of thing with season one, and we all knew that he was coming back. We didn't know how, and that's an interesting concept too. And I love the fact that he is struggling with who he is when he does come back because he's not exactly the same person. He looks like him, he has the same features and everything else aside from his missing scar, but he still does not feel the same and I have a degree in psychology, I'm a social worker, and I get that aspect, and for me, that struggle was beautiful. I love that when he goes to Cornwall and he asks her for help to figure out what, what to do, and who, who he is, where to go from, from here, it was really, really powerful for me, but the breakup was and and seeing that, and I know you're.
5: you're. No, I'm a shipper. I, I love I love relationships <laughs> and happy endings. By the end of the season, I'm like, oh, I, mean, I wouldn't know. I don't know if I was in tears, but I definitely had an awe. Yeah, moment. I cry. I yeah. cry. so
4: much crying. Cry, um, but I love that at the end he's he's found himself and he's realized that being with Stamets is his own. And I think that his relationship is short and small as it is with Jet Reno. You know, I think Hugh. <laughs> and Chet, I think, probably get along. Their little moment together, and she purposely, I think she purposely went in there, a hangnail. Oh, she totally totally did. She gave herself that
3: hangnail, guys. She
5: tells it like it is, don't mess this
4: up. Yeah, and I love that scene. I love that she's, you know, don't mess this up, and pats him on the shoulder. But I think that kind of helped him discover what he wanted and who he was. And so all these relationships, I mean, you see at the end, when Discovery's leaving and Pike says, you know, basically good luck to my friends and my family in the short time that he was with them, they became his family, and that's what it's about and it's about, you know, us as fans, we have problems in fandom I've been on the receiving end of negativity, I'm sure we all have and that sucks but I think, you know, we're a family even though we don't know each other personally we are a family because we love this thing a lot. And so that's what the show's about. So I'm excited. I'm hoping that we have more of these relationships in season three. And I will say it right now, I'm on board for a Pike show. Yes.
3: Saying. I want that. Gotta have a spot though, too. Otherwise, don't do it. Well, in number one as well. Oh yeah, well, yeah. It's so that she can have something to do. <laughs> Because she doesn't get anything to do until the last episode of the season, guys. (laughs) Tells her name at least. Una. It's it's number one. Una. But when she was being, that's not technically her name. The producer says it is. Yeah, Yeah. they came out today.
4: I think they they did announce that her name is Uh Una.
3: Well, then when she was being interviewed by a Starfleet admiral, why did she say that her name was number one? Wouldn't that be lying?
4: Uh, they all were lying in that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true, but lying about your name
7: seems pretty obvious. So, uh, it, it's, it, it's, there's uh, very many gradations in legal defense about what is an actual lie versus failure to cooperate.
5: Yeah, right. Sophistry, <laughs> I tell you, sophistry. Well, we're short
4: on time, but does anybody have any questions for us? No questions. Oh, well,
6: got i one. One. Was it necessary to, to, uh, Drop the torpedo into the, into the Enterprise and then the animal die.
4: You know, I, I look at that, she was incredibly brave. Yes. She was incredibly brave. And yeah, it might not have been a necessary thing, but I think it gave her something. And it also kind of did give, number one, some stuff to do as well. And I love that moment when they grasped their arms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was just a way, beautiful way to send off her character. So. But well, I agree, it's
3: necessary.
5: It. Okay. Yeah. She probably said, give me a good death
3: scene. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like for the first time in Star Trek, really, I felt like men and women were equal in getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. And women were extremely at the forefront of the, of the last episode getting stuff done. I'm not saying the guys didn't do anything. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it was nice to see everybody working together, everybody having something to do and getting it done. And even when they didn't know exactly what they were doing unless they were blindfolded because they'd done it once on, for a drinking game. You know, without those shields, they couldn't have gone through the wormhole. Tilly saving the day. So, yeah, I love it when Tilly saves the day. So, but yeah, just for the first time, I have finally felt that Trek is for everyone. That everyone is being represented. And it's a marvelous feeling because nobody has ever been able to say, there's gay people, gay people exist. In Star Trek, well of course they do, but now we see it and it's just normal, it's fine because we are all just people. It doesn't matter what our sexuality is, what our gender is, what we identify as. We're all just people and I think that Discovery demonstrates that in every episode that
4: they had made. Any other questions?
6: Um, what do you think about the anime influence on Discovery? Especially with the design of the red suit, the red angel. The red angel is so anime.
3: <laughs>
6: I'm not a huge
5: anime fan, so what, what is it? Is, is it a directly it's, derivative of something? It's
6: very derivative of just the design, the wings that fold out that are very mechanical, that's mm-hmm. very anime. and. During that two-parter, the battle sequence, the space battle, is extremely anime, where you just have these little pops of lights as things explode from the
3: distance. Yeah, that that wide shot was very anime. We have watched a lot of anime. In our
4: house. I was to say, I have no knowledge of this, so I don't know.
6: But yeah, this is very a lot of, suit of it. Assembles too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Comes across and uh, assembles itself, kind of like an Iron Man suit.
3: Yeah, it was it was similar to that as well. But yeah. I was I was reminded of um, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I was reminded of Gundam. I was reminded of Elite Battle Angel. I mean, there were so many things I was reminded of, but not. It wasn't. I didn't ever feel like a ripoff. I just thought, like, oh, that is so anime. Like <laughs>
5: Autobots roll out, kind of.
3: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the last anime I watched. No, sorry.
4: Well, if there's no more questions or anything, we're. We're done, but thank you for coming. No, uh, no, okay. tell, no wait. People,
3: tell people where they can find oh, us.
4: Oh, 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 where can people oh, find God. you, Haley, when you're not coming all the way down
3: here to do a panel at FanX? <laughs> uh,
4: yeah, you guys, if you would like to, again, I'm over on Trek FM Standard Orbit. you listen to me over there, you can find me, um, I'm going to, each another podcast that I do. Uh Discoville. We talk about Discovery and we also talk about the Oroville because yes, that exists, and you can like both.
3: Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. You
4: can like both.
3: I like both. <laughs> um
4: if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter. Super easy. I am at trekkie one d Zach?
5: Okay, well you can find me on two podcasts on Trek FM. One is To The Journey, which one person knows. (laughs) We talk about all things Star Trek, Voyager. Um, And I'm glad you mentioned family because that's what I love about Voyager is the the family aspect of it. And I'm, I'm glad Discovery has that same kind of connotation. So maybe in a year from now, Discovery will be my favorite. But you can also find me on a show called Metatrex, where we talk about Star Trek and philosophy. You can follow me on Twitter. My handle's just my name, Zachary Fruling. It's hard to spell. You can look it up on the sign out there, Zachary uh, Fruling, F-R-U-H-L-I-N-G. Follow me on Twitter.
3: Yeah. Well, I already said that I was on Live from the Edge, which is now on hiatus until Season 3. That was as hard as saying goodbye to Pikes and Spock. <laughs> So uh, you can find me there, you can find me on Twitter at brandy Wine 12 Brandy is with an I, and 12 is the number, you can also find my alter ego, Dark Amy Nose Rockets, do not ask, I'm not going to explain that joke, you'll just have to go back and watch all of season 2 of Life from the Edge, and then you'll find out why that happens. Uh, I do a podcast with my wonderful husband Dave called The Dark Corner Podcast, where we look at all kinds of nerdy things from a bit of a darker perspective. There is adult language in that, mostly from me. <laughs> I have a potty now. And uh, also right now, I am appearing from time to time on the Twilight Zone podcast, which you can find at thetwilightzonepodcast.com with my fantastic friend, Tom Elliott. And we are covering the new Twilight Zone series right now that is currently airing on CBS All Access. And in fact, you will hear me in next week's episode about uh, Wunderkind yeah Wunderkind is the name of that episode that will be an interesting one to talk about so those are all the places you can find me thanks for coming guys thank you so much
7: thank you previously on Trek.fm Earl Grey but I don't know like that that one as I was looking through the examples I was like that's pretty badass to just take that risk. And I think Riker's taking it back. He's like, you're going to kill Deanna? No, don't do that. But I, I think she convinces him, like, this is this is the way we have to, to do it. So, I don't know. What do you think?
4: Wow, that was not even <laughs> on my radar. <laughs>
7: Versus- <laughs> well, of course, it's
2: killing
4: Troy. I know, Troy, yeah. You know?
7: <laughs> Literary
6: Treks. The, it, it always frustrated me because on, on screen, we saw in-depth the Klingon government, the Bajoran government, the Cardassian government, to a lesser extent the Romulan government. We almost never saw the Federation government. You know, we, we three three times we saw a president, once we saw the council. The council was mentioned any number of times, but we never really saw it. Warp five.
7: I thought it was cool when he when he, he hits it.
2: And and it's, it's like, like knocking the on the door. It's like... <laughs> So did they install like a wooden
7: neck for him or something? Right, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You know what? I leave that up to. I guess people had less knowledge of biology overall. You know, the general public in 1939. So, yeah. whatever. got to
2: file that under. We we just gotta go with it, and we'll file that under our neck cannon.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Melodic Treks. Star Trek Three was Christopher Lloyd's crew. You know? Mm-hmm. And and I mean, the, the, his impact on, on that culture and race of Klingons and the rest of the franchise is, is, is still being felt. And, and to me, he's my second favorite Star Trek uh, movie villain, right? Khan would obviously be first, and then Krug is number two after that for me. Not the whale probe? Is the, the whale probe is just misunderstood. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well.
4: If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on Trek.FM slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash Trek.FM and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at Trek.FM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek.FM and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at Trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar.
1: Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com trek.fm, that's patreo dot trek.fm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time, or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO.
0: As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M O O R E O N Z A C H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S.
4: You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D.
0: Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. <laughs>
4: Yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday.
0: So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.